You're tuned in with In the Blind with Combat Waterfowl, the podcast. Welcome Thank back you for to listening. In the Blind with Combat Waterfowl. I'm your host, Robert Brewer. Got my co-host, Andrew Beck, and our newest addition to the podcast, Dylan West. What's up, dude? What's going on, guys? Glad to have you, brother. Excited for uh, this journey. Uh, Andy and I have been bludgeoned by the gunners enough that uh, they, they demanded that we come back. And uh, I'm excited. I know Andy's all on another on another level, uh, ready to get this thing back. As you can tell by his headphones, he is ready to roll. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm pumped up for this journey again. Welcome, Dylan, man. We're glad to have you. Um, definitely going to be nice to have another opinion on with us. And uh, I'm looking forward to this, man. Yeah, glad to be here. I appreciate it. Yeah, uh, Dylan, uh, I, I'll let you talk for yourself, but I'll, I'll steal your I'll steal your little uh, microphone for a second. Um, Dylan's been with us for a good while um, as a gunner, and um, Dylan comes from a law enforcement background. Uh, he also comes to us as a uh, as a guide and outfitter, um, and Dylan's experience in the outdoors, not just the waterfowl industry, is is vast. Um, he's very active in in the community, um, obviously as a law enforcement officer, but um, as well in the outdoor community. Um, and we're very excited to have someone else with with a substantial amount of experience to uh, as we dig into some of these topics. Um, it helps because uh, we all have a different way of doing things and we all see things a little bit differently. So hopefully that rounds out the podcast in a lot of ways, man. So I'm pretty, pretty yeeted up. Yeah, no doubt. So I've been in law enforcement for going on seven years now. Um, been around duck hunting and hunting in general pretty much my whole life. Um, grew up on the Outer Banks of North Carolina. So the duck hunting here is the heritage here is deep. Um, so that's kind of where I started was on the the Kurtuck Sound doing, you know, diver hunts and that kind of stuff. And then moved into the impoundment hunting around Hyde County, which is also a you know, waterfowl destination for this part of the world. Um, got it there for a while and got into the, the bear hunts and deer hunts and turkey hunts. So we do a little bit of all of it, but um, definitely waterfowl would be would be top. Andy, what you what you got for us today, man? I'm uh, I'm ready to hear what this uh, season two, episode one, back in the swing looks like. What, what are we doing uh, today? We are going to talk about ten traits to be an effective hunter, and zero of them have any pending upon how many birds you have or how much success you're going to have. I'm uh, this one's going to be good. This one's I'm. Gonna- uh, I'm uh, I'm pumped up about this, so let, right. let's let's get straight to her. Let's get let's straight go. to her. Let's go. So uh, number one, and this is uh, when I wrote this. This man, this is my dad. Actually, told me this, and I've always, always, always anything in life I've gone by. Be a student of the game, and what I say by that, be a student of the game, is always be learning and trying to effectively change what you can and understanding what you can't change. Um, we we're in a, a world where you can't change many things except what you're doing for yourself. Um, so I think if you, if you can become a student of the game and you can actually understand what's going on, understanding what you can change, understand what you can't change, and then put a plan into action, nine out of 10 times, you're going to be more effective. I didn't say you're going to have more success. just said you're going to be more effective. Yeah, no, I'm with that. Um, When I hear student, I always think about who identifies as a student, right? And generally, somebody who identifies as a student is in school, Um, whether they're in, you know, elementary, middle, high, um, college level, whatever it is, they're, they're, they're in school to achieve something. Right. And I feel like if you maintain that mentality, as you have, um, of being a student, I feel like it, it commands a presence that the learning is never over with. As long as you are an outdoorsman or a hunter, 
or a waterfowl hunter, even more specifically, I feel like there's always something else to learn because, you know, like we just said a few minutes ago, um, introducing Dylan, there is a different way to do any and everything. And just because you go to one place and do one tactic one time and find some success um, doesn't necessarily mean that tomorrow will yield the same result. Um, but what do you, what do you think, Dylan? You, you got a intent look over there. No, I agree. Um, I don't care how many times you duck hunt or how many years you've been doing it. I, mean, I, I learned something from somebody different every time I go. Um, whether or not it works the best for me, you know, that, um, or it's just, you know, something to put in, in the back of my mind to, to try one time. I, I don't think you'll ever, ever stop learning, um, whether it's a decoy spread or ways of brush blinds. But Yeah, that, that, you know, learning from someone sparks something that, you know, happens to be uh, number two on this list that Andy's provided. Um, finding a mentor. Um, I think that all hunters or all outdoorsmen or outdoors women, they, they have somebody who got them to where they are. And I was on a podcast um, the other day with Eastman's Hunting Journal on their Wingman podcast. And I was talking to Todd about um, an experience that I had. I got a call from Rhode Island um, and they, one of the first questions that they asked was, basically several questions that they asked were centered around how, how you got into hunting and it, and it just, it, it clicked and it resonated. And it's so true. Somebody, somebody taught most everybody who's an outdoorsman. Sure. There are people out there that are 100% self-taught that, you know, got to where they are um, by no one else's help. But for the overwhelming majority of us, there's somebody out there um, or multiple people that, you look to for help or advice in your early stages of your waterfowl career. And then as you developed, maybe that mentor changed to someone who was on a different level than, um, than you were, you know, I, I know for me, if I could pick one person that has probably been the biggest mentor inspiration, I guess, on my waterfowl career, it'd be Eric Bakken. Um, we had him on last season's podcast and, uh, Eric is, is somebody that I, that I really look up to. Um, when he talks, I listen, um, and not that when other people talk, I don't listen, but when, when he is, when he is, is, is doing something or setting something up or, um, you know, I'm even listening to the notes he's, he's calling when the birds are doing whatever it is they're doing, when he changes a note and does something different, I'm, I'm like, I'm watching. Um, and, and all of that to me, you know, is, is what's important, um, you know, and, and kind of part of that, but I don't know, Drew, what you got? I mean, I think that uh, when you, when you're looking for a mentor, first you need to look for some level of connection. Like don't, don't go out there and try and find the, the best waterfowl hunter, you know, and, you know, say, Hey man, you know, I want to, I want to mentor under you, whatever it may be. Um, have an actual connection with them, like relatable and make it an actual, more than just a mentorship, make it a relationship to where, you know, it, it works out for the best. I, I didn't duck hunt that much prior to, you know, me and you starting to duck hunt together, Robert. And that was kind of like a, it was like, I, you know, I gravitated to you a little bit and then I kind of, I took the, a lot of the, you know, self, uh, learning and stuff like that. But I mean, I always go back to, you know, conversations we've had. The other thing I would think about is if, if you're going to, uh, allow yourself and be vulnerable enough to say, Hey, I need a mentor, make it known to that person that you want them to mentor you so they can take the right approach and the right Avenue with you. Um, and then they can understand where you're at in your, you know, your process and your journey, uh, if you want to call it to, you know, to the level of success that you want to attain. Um, and I think that's different for a lot of different hunters. And, um, I mean, there's, there's a whole wide spectrum of what I would consider success within the, 
you know, within the waterfowl world. Um, and you, you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt. And that, I mean, that kind of takes us to, to number three, and that's understanding realistic success. Um, Malcolm Gladwell talks about 10,000 hour rule. So you need 10,000 hours of something to be successful. How many people do you know that have 10,000 hours invested in hunting? And we're talking 10,000 hours in each independent discipline. It's just, it's not very obtainable. So, you know, you really need to look at it and say, hey, what, what, what do I want out of the sport? And what do I think is realistic? Um, I, I think that that, I mean, that could lead to a lot better feeling uh, morale-wise, emotionally, um, a better feeling about your own money, you know, and, and this costly draining sport that we all have some type of love for that by January, our credit cards are screaming at us, but, uh, you know, nope. I mean, no cap. I mean, Dylan, what do you, I mean, what do you think, or what is your, what would you consider as your success in the waterfowl world from a guide standpoint, as well as a, a hunter standpoint? Uh, it's, it's hard to, to really touch on one success. Um, I was pretty fortunate early that, you know, I had a, my best friend's dad growing up was a caretaker for a, um, it's called, it's the Pine Island Hunt Club in Perry County. Um, so I was kind of in, thrown into all the upkeep and the, the guide life more or less pretty early, really before I started hunting hard. It was more the prep work and all that, that I was, I was around year round. Um, and really, like I said, I, it, it's hard to really touch on one thing as a, success um and you know the 10,000 hour rule kind of goes along with uh the, like being a student of the game you know the number one thing we talked about you never really stop learning or or uh putting in the, the time to improve you know what you did last year let me grill you Dylan so if you are on a guided you're you're guiding a hunt okay um, you've got four clients there in the blind with you from what do you, what do you deem as a successful hunt and then flip that script? Now you, you know, the three of us, excuse me, are going to go on a hunt together and it's just us. There's no client element. There's no nothing. It's just us hanging out. Now, does that vision of success change for you? And if so, where how does that that fall for you i don't think it changes um really i guess it all depends on the uh on the setup and the the weather as far you know if i'm guiding obviously i want to kill well really if i'm doing anything i want to kill as many as we can um but i, I think the going with friends versus the guide and it, it really takes out a lot of the you know, the babysitting aspect out of it um so so we can go and you know shoot a couple ducks have a good time you know to me is a success as far as you know if the three of us go um now i feel you know obviously you know everything weather and all that affects the hunt and sometimes your clients don't understand that so killing a couple ducks might not be a success to them where i know it's you know 70 degrees sunshine you know, if we kill a couple of ducks, you know, to me, that's a success because that's just what the conditions are allowed. Right. Kind of going yeah. back on that too, like um, understanding the success and what it means to your region. Um, and that's, I mean, that's a, a, like, if you're in, you know, if, okay, for example, say, you know, we all live here in North Carolina. If you think you're going out and, you know, shooting a, we'll say a six man of mallards. Like it, it just, it's not very plausible. I, I'm not saying it can't so, happen. So, so 12 birds. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying it can't happen, but I'm saying strictly like, we're just, we're just popping off mallards. You know what I mean? Like we don't have that luxury. Like, yeah, we might shoot a six man of mallards, but yeah, it was pure, pure luck to make that happen. You know what I mean? It's just not, not that often. And I think that that's something that you really need to take into consideration um 
And I, I'm definitely not the one to, I, my definition of success is if we go out there, everyone comes back safe for one, two, we shoot a couple birds, three, I had some good laughs and four, I had me a honey bun. I'm good to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, you know, I've, I've had the, the pleasure of hunting in every flyway that, that we, that we have in, in North America. And, um, I will say that the Atlantic flyway where we live is by far overall the biggest struggle. Um, there are things that, that we have in the Atlantic flyway that are unique to us and that are, um, that you can go and do, right. You can go to new England and you can absolutely slay eiders. You're not going to go to North Dakota and slay eiders. It's not going to happen. Um, so you have to be realistic in what your expectations are, right? Like if you, if you, if you're going to go to an area, like we'll take North Dakota as an example. Okay. When the migration is there, they're there. Right. But you know, you have to take like what Dylan said, take what the weather's going to give you. If you know, there's an overabundance of water, you know, one year, they might not need or, or be feeling feeding in the fields if it's, if it's not cold enough. So you're going to have to, you know, transition from, I came all the way from North Carolina to go to North Dakota and I only want to shoot green heads in a dry field. And you might get there and realize that ain't going to happen. So you have to be realistic about what it is that environmentally is being thrown at you and then look around at where you are. Um, I think that, you know, the Pacific Flyway, at least from my experience of it, um, the several times that I've been able to hunt there, uh, Pacific Flyway is by far the most numerous um, population-wise. But at the same time, there are things that, again, we can do here that you can't do there. Um, so what makes a hunt to me is did you go and did you win? And by when, I mean, not necessarily how many did you kill, but were your tactics, techniques, and procedures successful for the birds that you had the opportunity? Were your birds coming in, you know, you can have 10,000 birds coming into the spread if they flare at the decoys and they never come in. To me, that's not success. Winning is the hide was good, the decoys were good, you did everything that you could do as a sportsman, as an outdoorsman to win, to, to fool those ducks into coming into your spread and harvesting what you had the opportunity to harvest, whether that's a bluebill, whether that's a pintail, whether it's a king eider, I don't care. Did you win? And that, that to me is success. And kind of going on that too, um, it, when that doesn't happen, uh, this is kind of transitioning us over to number four, but don't be afraid of that failure. Like we have a hard time accepting uh, sunrise photos. It, it's a, it's a, it's like, it's like the worst thing in the world. And I'm like, I, I'll be the first one. I'm not gonna lie. I'm gonna drop that sunrise photo on my story. If I oh, get I'm skunked, with- I, I'm dropping it. <laughs> but um, you know, don't, don't be afraid of that failure. And the, the, the best time you can see failure, if we, if we want to get back to it and we talk about a mentor, go without your mentor, have that failure, go back to him and have that him or her and have that conversation and say, Hey, you know, I did X, Y, and Z, but we didn't work out. So what, what changed in your thought process going out there and what changed in your application? And I mean, we've got to get better at accepting failure and, just being honest with ourselves as far as, you know, what, is, what success are we really having? Yeah, no, I, I think that, that failure is something that um, we're all, all three of us are, are very type A um, and failure is something that type A people don't do well with um, at all. And <clears throat> I think that maybe even just so much as, admitting failure like instead of being proud of the sunrise photo and the picture of your honey bun uh (laughs) like maybe call that mentor like you said and be like listen dude uh this happened and 
I found myself doing that in the dog testing thing, right? And I'm, I'm still working on, I'm almost done with Kai. The first test that I went to with Kai, I was in um, Virginia, I think Emporia's test. And I got up there and I got to the line and, you know, Kai did something. It's, it's a long story. Either way, he, he went where I did not want him to go. And I ended up having, <clears throat> I ended up having the judges say, Hey, he's out. And I, in that moment, I was so mad at him because I was looking at him and, and, and making it, you know, my excuse was my dog messed up. Right. Well, in reality, number one, I pointed him in the wrong direction. Number two, I swung the gun before that mark had even hit the ground. So he didn't see it. I didn't give him, I did not give him the best opportunity. And I looking at yourself and self-reflection in that moment of failure and saying, you know, I should have, I should have done this or I should have done that. And then actually doing this or that the next time you get the opportunity, that's, uh, that's, that's clutch. I don't care. How about we don't want to fail. It's going to happen in this, uh, industry, whatever you want to call it, it's going to happen. And it doesn't get any easier to, to go home knowing you failed, you know, something you could have changed or maybe it's something you couldn't change. You still don't want to fail. Um, but it, back to the you know, what we talked about earlier it's, it's the hours you know the hours you put in you realize hey this didn't work you can change it for your next time or you know maybe it worked better another way it's you know you put the time in you're gonna fail it's just it's how it is i'm just saying i i know two was it five of us now four of us guys that rode from stuttgart to win with our tails under our damn glass because we were damn sad <laughs> sad puppy dogs Big sad, but okay. Let's let's talk about. We'll we'll break that. We'll break that egg. <laughs> Conditions did not allow the opportunity for success in terms of ducks harvested. I mean, dude, we didn't even see a duck. I, I agree with you completely, but go back to type A personalities. So I don't call that a failure. I don't call that a failure. I. Me, I do not look at that as a failure on us as hunters. Uh, okay. So, we, we did learn. We learned where not to go. So, okay. So let's, <laughs> let's, let's flip it in another direction. Was it a failure because we didn't adjust fire quick enough? No. I, I mean, I could, well, I, well, maybe not because we didn't have, we weren't there long enough to say, okay, well. Now we really got to change up what we're doing. You know what I mean? If we would have left on day one, our truck, our four people, we would have saw what we saw and said, I'm out. You would have had 15 other gunners there that you just abandoned and pretty much said, look, I don't want to spend time with you. I'm going to go kill ducks. I don't care about hanging out. I don't care about doing nothing. We did, we're just, only thing we care about is killing ducks. And oh, I, yeah, it was about more than that. Yeah, I completely agree with you in that instance. What I'm saying is that it's like even the time we were there, if we would have switched the game up and said, hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to try and go after some some geese or we're going to, you know, we're going to break away and say, hey, you know, we're all going down, you know, 40, 50 miles down the road type thing. You know what I mean? Um, and, and some guys did make that transition. and They were, you know, pretty successful when they did it. Um, and that, I, that's what I'm saying is that I don't want to say it's like a huge failure, but there was, was failure there. Um, we just got to, you know, acknowledge it a little bit and move on. But, um, so the next one, uh, this is number five and it's going to be arrive early and stay late. This is my, one of my biggest pet peeves. Don't show up at the house at two o'clock in the morning. And we ain't done nothing together. It drives me up the wall. Um, you know, you, especially if you're on an invite with somebody, I don't care if you have your own gear or not. If you're on an invite with somebody, you know, if I say, Hey man, let's go hunt tomorrow. And you don't ask, Hey man, are you ready? You got your stuff together. Like I need to come help you with some decoys. You know, what's the deal? Um, it, it's just a bad look, man. Like, it, yeah, it's my gear, but 
damn, man, I'm, I'm out here. You know, I've, I'm making the first sacrifices is that I have the resources for us to go do this. You know what I mean? Um, and the second light is that, you know, just in the fellowship of it, I mean, me and you have had more fun, fun and stacking decoys and repainting, packing boats as just as much as we have, you know, hunting alone, period. So if you have the ability and you're within range, you know, make that reach to that person that's, you know, extending a courtesy to you to say, hey, I'm, I'm going to come help you out. I'm going to do you a solid. Yeah, the, the best. Go ahead, the Dylan. I, I was about to call you out, so I'm glad you said <laughs> The best are the ones, uh, you know, people you haven't heard from since high school or whatever, and it's getting to be that time of year right before duck season and start getting those Instagram messages or Facebook messages. Hey, man, you know, let me know when you got an empty spot in the blind, you know, I'll meet you there and we'll, we'll go hunt and kill some ducks. Yeah. Um, but I, I agree. That's a big pet peeve of mine too. You know, if, if you want to come hunt with me, great, but you know, show that you're willing to put in the work to be there. Right. Yeah. I think, I think that goes for anything though. Like that, that's just a, that's a common, like, that's a common courtesy that is a lost art anymore. Um, you know, and that's just, that's a, that could be a whole nother episode. We could talk about that, but, um, you know, the, the way that, the way that folks are anymore is, um, is very selfish, I think. Um, and I think that regardless of how long you've been a waterfowl hunter, um, it's a team sport and there's not, there's not too many people that <clears throat> regularly go just duck hunt by themselves. Um, you know, I know I enjoy that sometimes, um, because it gives me an opportunity for self-reflection that I might not always get, but mm, nine out of 10 times I'm going to be hunting with somebody else. And, you know, just the, Hey man, is there anything I can do? Or, you know, me being, you being where you are, you know, Dylan, you're, you're the outer banks, right? If Andy's coming from you know, central North Carolina and coming down, there's not a lot of gas stations or anything open. So it would be cool, you know, of Andy. And that's something that he would do. He's done it for me, you know, Hey man, can I grab you anything? I'm going to swing by the store, but you know, over here in, you know, Newburn, but whether it's a 24 hour gas station, can I grab you anything for breakfast or, you know, just like little stuff, man, or, or instead of yeah. just putting stuff in somebody's boat, you know, put it, ask them how they want it done or, you know, you're in somebody's blind, pick your shells up, you know, just no going right to number six. Don't be lazy, man. Like that is the, it is, uh, it, that one, that one gets me, um, especially a new hunter, um, you know, and it's, it's not just like a, a hazing thing to me. It's a, like, you need to learn every aspect of this sport you don't need to cut corners as soon as you possibly can, you know, cutting corners is, is complacency and complacency is, is not success. Um, and, and I just think that there are a lot of people that build their success, that build their social media platforms, that build so much of their, whatever you want to call a career of waterfowl off of other people's work. Um, and, and sitting there and, and taking a picture of it at the end of the day, like, like they did something and bouncing out and it is it, messed up is, is what it is. You know, you know, you got, y'all know those people that go and go hunt with a guide and, you know, go shoot these birds. And then at the end of the day, they're holding up full straps with this guide that they, you know, did don't even shout them out and say, Hey, thanks for a good time. You know, like we, you know, when we wound up up there and win with chase, you know, he did all he, chase, you know, we, we made sure to shout him out, you know, he did us a favor, you know, and those, that wasn't my hunt. It wasn't our hunt. That was, that was his hunt that he graciously allowed us to participate in. And we were out there every, all, all of us, you know, picking up decoys, doing this, doing that. That's how it should be. It, it's not a, not like that well that's another thing too like i i'm i i'm not very versed in going on guided hunts and stuff like that. that's not really my thing but don't be afraid to work with the guide like yeah you paid for it you paid for the access that's what you paid for you still got to work 
if if you want to be successful, your work with the guide is dependent upon your success. Because one man to go out there, we'll say specs in general or geese in general, you know, he might have himself and a helper or maybe two helpers, but three guys aren't putting out 20 dozen that fast. And you're just sitting over there eating breakfast because you think it's cool, man. Like, I, I can't justify that. I can't say, all right, well, I'm just going to leave my man out to dry because I've already paid him, you know, my little 200 bucks or whatever it is. You know, it's just, you got to still work. Like, but it, going into another point about, you know, arriving early and staying late, um, just as a general rule, arrive early to your hole and stay late at your hole. If you leave early, you're going to miss something. If there's, if there's any amount of birds there, you're going to miss something. You're going to miss something you could have learned. You might, you still might not shoot birds that day, but you might learn something about the movement that helps you tomorrow. It might help you two days later, three days later, whatever the case may be. So don't be so quick to say, Hey, I'm not having any success. I'm out of here. I'm going back to the house. I can go back to sleep. Yeah, absolutely. That's, uh, you know, kind of what you're talking about, you know, staying later, you know, you might not be on the X that day. You might've been off by a couple hundred yards, but if you stayed, you know, a little later in the day, you know, after you realize you'd messed up, you know, you, you might go find the X and be able to move, you know, the next morning or, you know, two days from, from then move to the X or at least closer until you can figure out where you're supposed to be. I'll move a whole decoy spread three times. And he knows I will. I was about to say, uh, you know, I mean, especially in, you know, I would consider my realm of, you know, primarily just diver hunting. I, I'm going to be out there till three, four o'clock, regardless. I might sit there and not shoot anything, but I'm, I'm damn sure going to watch the way they're trading. And if I'm with Robert, he's going to move the thing three or four times, but if we're not, I mean, yeah, if we're not finding, if we're not finding success where we are and, and things aren't working out, um, food shifts, their, their food shifts and they're, they're driven just like we are by food. Um, and they're going to find that they're going to go to that. You got to find, you got to be in between it. And just because, you know, the food was there yesterday, doesn't mean it's going to be there tomorrow. You know, tide and current has a lot to do with that. And, um, you know, you can, you can put in the work and scout, and go to your spot that you scouted and, and, and not find what you found before. And so being adaptable and resilient in the sense that you're not afraid, you know, um, to move or to say, Hey, look, like I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not above moving this, you know, like when we were, when we were up there in, uh, in Michigan, you know, we set up, we set up where we thought we should. And, and then we were like, I think we need to move. And then we couldn't, we couldn't beat the ducks off the layout boat if we tried. I mean, it was just, it was a, we just needed to move. That's all it was. I mean, I even look back at the end of the year last year. I mean, we moved 200 yards on sea ducks and made all the difference in the world. Yeah. Like it was 200 yards. Literally we moved from, you know, two football fields away from the pylon and got them jumping. You know what I mean? Um, I, I think that, the kind of draws us to the next one. Don't be lazy. Ducks aren't lazy. Don't be lazy. Give the head and hammered that one. Like, don't be lazy. It's just, it, it drives me up the wall. You, you get there and I get it. You're tired. I'm tired. I normally drive three hours to go hunt every time. Like, don't be lazy. Like you've already put in so much work. Why stop now? Like. But... From a guide standpoint, Dylan, you know, this kind of got danced around a little bit, but, you know, do you in this, like when you're running your impoundment hunts or your diver hunts or whatever, do you prefer your clients to, I almost think that in some situations um, it can be more detrimental than like, what was your take? What was your take on that with clients helping or, you know, would you, I would think at least not having been a guide, I'm going to, I'm going to ask if they would like help. And if they say yes, you know, I would make sure that I completely fully understand what it is that they're asking me to do um, before I touch anything. And in, in a perfect world, that's what would happen every time. Um, a lot of, a lot of times you could kind of tell who knew their stuff or who was kind of just starting and, 
most of the time I'd say, yeah, you know, you know grab some decoys, um, you know, start throwing them out. And, I, you know, you, you tell them where you want them, but they don't always end up there. Right. So, man, I would just ease over where, where I wanted them and kind of move them around without busting somebody's balls about it. But if, if somebody's willing to help, I'll always take the help. Like I said, granted, they might not get it exactly how you want it. You just, you know, you can go over there and correct it. Um, but absolutely, you know, it's, it's always nice to have somebody that knows what they're doing. Um, right. Kind of takes some some of the weight off of you. Um, how often does that happen? I mean, do you, do you regularly get people that pay for guided hunts that actually know what they're doing or like? Man, it, it you do, but it's kind of, you know, the same thing as far as like we're talking about region, you know, like going to Arkansas to me, you know, around here, timber hunting is not a thing. Um, right. So to me, that was my whole wanting to go to Arkansas was to shoot some ducks in the timber. So it's the same thing. You get that crowd that, man, I've never hunted the coast. I've never hunted in a duck impoundment. So, you know, they come to this area, you know, wanting to check that off the list. Um, but, but there again, you know, what works in the timber and what works in the impoundment isn't what works, you know, trying to shoot sea ducks. So, you know, whether they want to help, you know, it might not be the same, but I'll still take it. And then just, we'll just correct it as we go. Yeah. No, I completely agree. Um, number seven, this is a, this is a good one. I think, um, understanding what the X means, Andy, to you, what, what is the X? Well, just in general, are we speaking in general? Like when you, what do you like when you say, yo, I'm, I'm on the X, are you, is the X, the, the feed is the X, the loaf? What, what, to, what is the X to you? Like, what does that mean? Like we're. So I, I'm about to get castrated for this, but low feed roost. I don't care what it is. Right. I, I don't care what it is. I just want to understand what it is. Cause that's going to determine the way I'm going to hunt it. Right. The days of I, this is me in general, a public land rule. The days of, if you roll to a roost and you think you're not going to hunt it, you're wrong. Because if you don't hunt it, somebody else is hunting it because they don't understand. We just, we're, we're not, uh, as a sport, I still think we're very, we're not young. We have a lot of young people in the sport who don't quite understand how that's working out. You know what I mean? So kind of goes to my point C, but roost first X difference, you know, is this, what time, what time of day is it? Where has the pressure been at? Um, that sort of thing. But the X for me is just going to be, what's the total count of birds like and how does that total count based into the region that I'm at with the weather and the time of the migration that's what I'm looking for also how are the food sources playing into where they're at right now I get it and what time of day am I in there yeah um so to like at least if if most simply the X is where the birds are. The I mean, X not, doesn't necessarily I, mean that's where you're hunting, but the X is physically where those birds are located. Yeah, where, where they're what the where they're at in that time of day. I don't I, like everyone's like, well, I'm on the X. Like the X might not be um, beneficial for you tomorrow. You know what I mean? Like if you haven't looked at every consideration in the backfield, that might not be it tomorrow. Yeah, and I I think it. <clears throat> I think it changed. I think it changes quite a bit. Um, you know, I found if we're going to go, I'll, I'll just ask you a question and I'll use your, your answer to, to do that, to, to, to make my point. Dylan, if you're going to go duck hunt, one time are you going to go duck hunt? <laughs> when are you getting set up? You getting set up before light or you, you know, oh, when, well, there, there again, it depends on the weather, but nine times out of 10, yeah, it's, it's, it's before light before the sun comes up. So I was in a, I was up, uh, in another area of the country. And, um, you know, we got told like straight up, like when we went there, we were freelancing the area and, um, we are like, we got told like, listen, don't even, don't even bother getting out of bed until nine, 10 o'clock. Don't even, don't even worry about it. You're, you're going to be wasting your time. And me being, me being from here and, 
you know, knowing what I know, I was like, that dude's dumb. I'm, I'm no, nah, I'm, I'm going, I'll be there before light. I'm going to have everything set up and I'm going to sit there. And that's exactly what I did. I sat there and the time that that dude said, they're coming, they're coming. I mean, you're talking about middle of the day, birds going to, for the first time in the day, going to feed. It's so, it's so taboo to what we are used to, to think that a duck is going to sit there. The sun's come up and that duck is just going to sit there on that water, on that roost until 1230 and just hang out. And then at 1230, it's like, oh, no, it's time to go eat. I've had those mornings, but like I said, nine times out of 10, it's it's before light. But I've had mornings where, you know, you, you know, everything's just locked up, you know, frozen, that there's no point in getting out there until, you know, nine, starting to get out there at nine, 10 o'clock to kind of get your stuff right. But it, like you said, it is completely backwards from what we're used to. So it's, it is hard to go somewhere else and be told that. And I'll say this too, and I'll, I'll, I know that I'm going to get some, some kickback from this. If I'm going specifically to diver and sea duck hunt, I would prefer not to leave the dock until after shooting light. That's me. Amen. And it, and it, and it has several, several factors go into that. Number one, safety. If you're concerned about, you know, a lot of times we get bad weather down here, you know, obviously where we live in North Carolina, these sounds can kick up and they can get, they turn in some, some big water. Um, Navigating that in the types of boats that we traditionally and normally use to go do that in the dark with all this extra weight and people and all that in the boat, it's not always the safest thing to do. Um, But again, going back to what I said a few minutes ago, you're going to have to find where those birds are going and where they're trading and what they're, what they're doing. You're saving yourself time, energy, effort, everything else go out a little bit later like when we go to when we go to New England, if it's cold and there's birds there, generally we where I'm, you could go have a puddle duck hunt at first light, and then go you know go sea duck hunt you know on into the morning. Those birds are gonna fly all day because they have to. I, I mean, I, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> um, <laughs> kind of you know what you were talking about earlier, Andy, about you know the X might be here today, but completely, you know, a whole different spot the next day. Um, I've had mornings where I knew we were on the X and we got, got shooting light and we were not close to the X, you know, whereas the, the, the day before I knew that was where we needed to be. Um, but then I've had times where we're on the X to the point where, you know, we're, we're picking the, how big of a sprig the Pinto has that, you know, that we want to shoot or we want our, our clients to shoot. So I've I've been been on both sides of of that. Um, so I would have to agree that man, you you really got to do your homework and, it, and all the stuff we've talked about already. You know the hours, um, but but even then, you got to accept your failure because sometimes it's not right. You know the next morning. Yep. At the end of the day, you're still rolling the dice. I mean, oh, yeah, no doubt. And I mean that honestly, that's why I truly enjoy diver and sea duck hunting is because I take a little bit of that dice roll out. I mean, I can watch them where they're moving. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, quite frankly, I could ride through them and they're still going to sit there. You know what I mean? So on, on that aspect, kick them out and build back. But um, build, back better. I, <laughs> build back better. That's right. <laughs> um, I, I think that the X is something that has gotten kind of twisted up, man. I, I think that maybe we should take a hold back as duck hunters and be like, what, what does this really mean? Like, let's just not make it slang because now you've got people thinking that they're really on the X and they put in, you know, an hour worth of scouting time on a lake that's, you know, 80,000 acres. An hour ain't getting you there. Like, it's just not. So, um, kind of going to it on the opposite end of the spectrum, though, number eight, less is more. And my biggest point on this is, is do what your confidence can afford you. If you're not confident in it, don't do it. Don't, don't, it's, it's good to learn. 
and there's there's time i think there's times to learn um i i would say that you know it, where i'm at early season is my time to try things we don't have a lot of birds we don't have a lot of movement so i'll try a, a plethora of different things not only that birds are not adapted yet so you could throw the dice at them try a couple more things but as it gets later on you need to almost the opposite end of, i think of what a lot of people say where they're like well we got to switch things up we got to try something out birds are getting stale birds are getting that you know instead how about you put the time in a little bit more figure out actually what they're doing instead of what you think you should be doing and that's where you go with you know less is more don't overthink what you got and just ride with it because you can't really change those yeah i mean elements of elements of what you said i i I gotta be honest i disagree with um and the things that i disagree with are you know early season is a time to try things um because really you should be in my opinion you should be trying things from the start of the season to the end of the season um because you're dealing with like you said i mean you even said it yourself in the in the beginning part of the season you're dealing with birds that haven't maybe been as pressured. So you trying things is going to be trying things on a population of birds that may be successful in the end of season, um, dealing with a different population of birds that have been seeing this or that. Um, and like, when I think about trying things, I'll use an example of, of layout boat hunting. Um, you know, layout hunting is something that I really enjoy. It's something that, um, that, that I like to think that I'm pretty decent at. Um, and, you know, there's things to try with the decoy spread, right? And there are times that, you know, you want those lines parallel with the boat. There are times that you want those lines veed um, to where you're making, a, you're making a fatal funnel. And then there are times that you want those lines perpendicular to the boat. And, I never knew when to do which until I was in a situation where I failed or um, I just said, you know what, I'm trying something different today and I'm, and I'm doing it. You try, you try those things. And in my opinion, you should be trying new things all the time. Um, and that's just, that's, I fully believe that. And not to say that I disagree with the point that less is more. I, I do think that that less is more maybe less change. Don't change everything at one time, change one thing and see how that affects the hunt, you know, by instead of changing the orientation of, of the layout boat, maybe all you do is I figured something out for, for me, like when I'm diver hunting, I put my buffle head decoys on the shore side of the layout boat. And I found that I killed more, Bluebills when I did that, and I killed more buffleheads when I did that because I had my bluebills decoying more from the offshore side, and I had my buffleheads decoying more from the inshore side. And all I did to figure that out one day was, you know, I was frustrated that I wasn't getting, I wasn't getting the birds to kind of do what I wanted them to do, and they weren't finishing, and they weren't really interested. So all I did was just flip those. I just tried that one thing, one small thing, flip those. And I discovered something that, that works really well for me. Um, so I, to that, to that point, I'll say less is more. You don't have to make drastic changes. Um, you don't have to go just because you miss a shot doesn't mean you need a new shotgun. Um, it just, you know, in Andy's case, Andy needs a new shotgun because he can clean it. Um, but I mean, that's neither here nor there. Another time for that. But I, I will say that I was, I probably was a little preemptive in the way I said that, but yes, I would agree with that. Like make little changes. Don't try and, you know, completely change up your game. You know, don't go to Google and look up, you know, 10 best spreads on ducks unlimited, like stick with what, you know, you know what I mean? And kind of, there's a time to do that. There is a time to do that, but that's, there's a lot more to think about if, if you're getting to that point, I think. I'm definitely one that, that gets frustrated easy if, if I feel like, you know, especially when ducks start flaring, man, 
I go to throwing decoys around. I go to pulling mojos, changing hides. But uh, I, I definitely think, you know, slow down and focus on, on one thing at a time would, would definitely be a, you know, a, a beneficial move. I'll go a, a different way as well. I, I haven't been good at it. I know there are some people that are extremely good at it, but start keeping notes of what you're doing. Cause I'm terrible about it. I'll do something one day. And then the next day I get out there and I'm like, well, damn, what did we do yesterday? Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, unless it was like a, a banger of a day, then I'm just, I'm going straight back for it. But, um, you know, start keeping notes, a journal. I, I, we should have 11 here. You should keep a journal and we should probably all take a little bit of that. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Dylan probably has got a journal. There's no doubt in that. I got a killing journal. I don't have a, <laughs> what I did, but <laughs> Um, the, uh, the less is more to, uh, big spreads don't equal big piles. It doesn't. That's situationally dependent. You can't, you can't drop that response. I mean, there are just because you have a huge decoy spread doesn't mean you're going to kill big numbers, but there are times you will not kill big numbers. If you don't, let's go back to this one. Understand what the X means. It's relativity in that. I can get like, down with that. You see what I'm saying? That's a relativity thing. Like, understand what the X means and then look at it and say, hey, big spread might not equal a big pile today. I got you. Um, yeah, no, I'm with that. So, and then I uh, don't think you need every piece of gear under the sun to be successful. I do think you need a new shotgun. <laughs> I, I'm, it's in the works. It's in the works. I'll plug, I'll plug episode two right now. Let's talk uh, substandard gauges. Oh, sub gauges? Yep. That's the plug for episode two. Okay. You boys get ready. Um, and I say that because, I mean, Clorox bottles work. Like, yeah. And uh, if we could, if we could, GHG, if you could uh, take C Ducks away from being uh, $100 for six, that shit is killer. <laughs> yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> um, so, uh, number nine, this is going to change gears completely on us right here. Um, understanding weather and maybe this should be at the top, but I think that a lot of people focus so much on spread, hide, everything else. And the number one driving factor in this is weather. Like, I, I don't think it, so. If you're not, if, if you can't play win, it's going to be a hard game for you. Okay. So yeah, in that, in that sense, um, yes, I don't, I don't necessarily only regard the term weather as, as just win. Um, but yeah, I, I think that and I was actually having this conversation with somebody today. Um, there are, are things that are, are pretty standard, um, you know, and, and I don't think, you know, people that say cold weather is the only thing that, that moves ducks. I, I completely disagree with that. Cold weather will force the hand of ducks to move because they have no other option. But I think that there are environmental and biological factors that influence ducks migrations to where they are. Okay. Why, you know, if you look at, you look at uh, blue wing teal, we'll just take that species as an example. Blue wing teal migrate through here in August in September and they basically are they're not really stopping here they're going straight down to Florida you're telling me that it it's so cold in in Maryland in September that they don't stick around you know it's it's a biological thing that these birds are going to this location um you can look at North Carolina's uh Canada goose migration which is non-existent all of those Canada geese stop on the James River in Virginia and they don't come any further south they never come further south. That is a, it's, it's just where it is. They don't migrate here. Um, and, you know, like you look at scoters, like we get tons of scoters in November, tons of them, but they stick around here and they stay all year. Same thing with redheads. They get redheads to the core sound in December and they stick around till March. You know, what is these, these things are not to me migratory issues strictly based on weather I, I think it is 
I think it is biological. I think it's uh, food driven. I think that there are so many other factors that go into this, um, you know, and, and basically I'm trying to negate the cold front, warm front thing. Do I, if, if, if all things considered, it freezes up north, yes, those birds have no choice. If there's no open water and there's no food source, they will continue to go, they'll go to freaking South America if they have to. They're going to find open water. They have to drink. But um, I think that there are so many other factors that are, that are into this and, and reasons why um, things are the way they are, you know, but if, if you're simply talking about whether in the sense of playing the wind, then yeah, obviously you're, you're not going to kill very many ducks with the wind in your face. I think, you, I think also too, you have to look at, uh, you know, timing on fronts as well as, you know, stop viewing ducks as a straight line migration. Cause it's not really a, a thing. You know what I mean? Like it's pressure this way, pressure that way. You know what I mean? Like where it, it might not be physically, it might not be that much distance. If that makes sense. You know I, don't what think, I'm saying? I don't think pressure. I don't think pressure really pushes ducks either. No, I'm, I'm not saying like, I, I mean like actual. Oh, you mean barometric pressure? Yes. Okay. What's Which your, I'm not that versed in that. I, I'm not sure. I'm kind of shooting from the hip on that, if that makes sense. But it, I mean, it, it moves all of, you know, the world really, in a sense, especially, yeah. you know, animals in general. What is your I mean, what is your take on that, Dylan? There's definitely a lot of factors, you know, that you know, for the ducks to be where they are. Um, but I think as far as weather goes, and, and like you said, breweries you know, food driven, um, the colder it is that the more apt they are, you know, your ex is going to be the, the food, you know, that day. So I guess kind of the whole point of number nine is understanding when, you know, when the weather is or where you're supposed to be according to the weather that day, whether it's the low, you know, it's, it's kind of hot, you know, they're not going to, they don't have to be out feeding. So, you know, you need to be, you need to find a loaf, whether if it's cold and snowing, you know, they're going to be looking for food. So your ex needs to be food that morning. Um, does it, you know, necessarily mean, you know, that's all their, you know, that's the only driving factor is whether, no, I mean, I agree with you on that. Um, but I, I do think it plays a big part um, back to the um, not moving till 10 o'clock. If it's frozen, I know I'm not moving. I'm not getting up to go. If it's frozen, frozen, everything's locked up there's no point in moving because nine times out of 10, the ducks aren't um, around here anyway. I guess yeah. it's different everywhere. Um, but if it's frozen, locked up solid, you know, there's, there's no point in being a rush. Um, but when it starts thawing out or, you know, you start breaking a hole, you know, they're, they're going to be up looking for the food for sure. I'm going to drop a, a, a helpful hint that has probably been one of the biggest changes to what I look for in how to find ducks. If you are able to kill a duck or two, cut the crawl open on a duck, look in there, look inside their neck and find out what they're eating. And once, like once I figured that out, that changed the game for me. If you're, if you kill, if you go to an area and you kill 10 ducks and you know, you and you're, let's just, I, we'll use an area away from here, for instance. We'll use, we'll use North Dakota again. Okay. You go and you kill 10 ducks and you, you don't find a single kernel of corn or a single soybean in a duck's crawl and all you're finding is little crustaceans. Those birds ain't feeding in the field, they're feeding in the water. So you're wasting your time going, driving to all these fields to try to find ducks. You need to be going to, you need to be going to water and finding out where, where they're feeding at, what ponds are feeding at, potholes are feeding at. Um, and then on the same note, you know, if you, you, you're in a situation where there's an abundance of food at harvest time up there, there's grain, there's grain down. So you've got, you know, you've got Milo and, and, and hay and all that winter wheat, all that cut. Then you've got corn being cut. You've got beans being cut, you know, where, where are they at? Those, those, and it's so cool to me about waterfowl and, and they're, their nutritional needs and, and how that influences where they feed. But, you know, if you cut up in a duck's crawl and, you know, all you're finding 
is corn, then go find find the cornfields and go go scout there. Um, and I feel like if I would have started doing that earlier in my waterfowl hunting career, I probably would have had a lot less disappointment later. So hopefully that sticks to somebody. The problem with that, you know, around here, East North Carolina, you know, Currituck Sound, Pamlico Sound, all the ducks are full of corn. Just, you know, that's how those boys roll around. <laughs> yeah. Eat it up on 50-pound bags, boy. <laughs> Which, unfortunately, you know, it, it's entirely legal to do as long as you don't hunt over it. Um, you know, there. I don't think that – I don't think that them them redheads would stay in the core sound as long as they do if there wasn't a couple thousand pounds of corn being dropped out there every week. Um, it 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 is what it is. I mean, it if I don't know, man. Fast and furious. I, I I've said this once today already in another conversation. I'm gonna say it again. It don't matter if you win by an inch or a mile. Win is winning. I mean, I agree with you on that one. Just, as long as as long as you're, you know, following that regulation and staying, you know, the appropriate yardage and not blocking off a flight a flight path with with bait, you're you're just, you know, you're just doing better than somebody else who didn't want to go <laughs> spend the money on bags of corn. I mean, it's I'm not saying it's the right answer, um, but in certain situations, um, you know, as long as you're again, as long as you're following the following the law what's the problem with it you know um then boys with them impoundments can go so all that corn and all they got to do is build a dam and you know flood it and that you're that's totally fine you can you can sit you could stand in the corn if you want to and you're totally legal but you're telling me that you know somebody that's down the way a little bit that you know is sitting there and and they've got a, a bait pile you know 300 400 yards away and they're following the law just to squeak by, you know, I, I don't know. I, I disagree with a lot of stuff, man. <laughs> that, that's a whole, whole nother debate. That's a, a whole nother episode. <laughs> we're, we're talking economy issues here, <laughs> everything else. <laughs> so before we get too heated, let's remind you guys of rule number 10. Remember to have fun. <laughs> what a way to end it. That's a good time to roll into that one. I, I mean, on a serious note though, um, I mean, I've seen a lot of guys get worked up to the point, throwing shit, fighting, you know, you name it. I, I think I've probably seen it. Um, at the end of the day, you're just killing a duck. Like, I saw I saw that boat come full speed and run me over while I was in a layout boat when he ran me over. I mean, at the end of the day, we're just killing ducks, man. Yeah, you almost <laughs> killed me, too. <laughs> There's no season. There's no season and bag limit on on me. That is true. So I mean, what we got? Rule twelve now. Be safe. Yeah. Don't <laughs> run your friends over. Oh man. I survived. A couple anchors later. All right. Well, those those are definitely my fault. Um, I'll take the beat on the anchors for sure. But I don't. Were you with me when I didn't put the plug in the boat? No. Yeah, I don't that, think so. That happened. So, I mean, I I can't tell you how many just absolutely stupid mistakes that I've made. Um, you know, thankfully nobody's ever been hurt or ran over. Um, Go swim. You know, I did. <laughs> but, uh, man, I, I definitely uh, I enjoy being back in here and getting back into it with you fellas. And Dylan, again, man, we are – Really appreciative to have you on, man. Um, Absolutely. I got some kinks I got to work out, but I'm glad to be here. So looking forward to it. The kinks will unkink, man. So, uh, Drib, you said we're doing sub gauges for episode two. Can I, can I get a little bit more? What are, what are we doing, man? Like hook, hook, hook the people up. They want to know what's coming next. I, I, just, I, I mean, I kind of want to just talk about the boom, man. Like it's the, the, uh, I, I mean, honestly, I think it's the the unspoken um, pivotal change that we are seeing right now. Let me go through my notes real quick. I'll look, see what I got so far. I don't yeah, want to get too deep into it, though. Yeah, you you, you mentioned sub gauges, um, so we can that basically we can just talk equipment, you know, shotguns and and preferences and um, what we do and why, um, you know, because we every each of the three of us 
all do something different. So um, I think I think that'll be uh, that'd be a good one, man. It's gonna be legit. I agree. That'll be a definitely gonna be a, a, a good debate episode. <laughs> Those are the fun ones to me. I like I like the confrontation. I like that a lot. That's to me. That's what makes a that's a good episode in a lot yeah. of ways. We appreciate you guys um, coming back and joining us for season two. Um, if you made it this far, we hope you stick around and come back again for uh, for episode two, where Andy will talk about subgauge shotguns. Subgauge shotguns. All right, that's it. Appreciate y'all.